Welcome to School of PE Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Miller, and I'm so glad that you could join me this week. We are going to discuss topics about FE, PE, and SE, and we're also going to answer questions that will help students prepare for their exams. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the SOPE Podcast. I'm Chris Miller, and today we're welcoming back Mr. James Avery. He was with us a few episodes back. Fire protection, round two. Well, James, welcome back, and uh, thanks for coming back. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. Uh, it's a beautiful day where I'm at. Um, doing doing great. Happy to be here. All right. Week's treating you pretty good? Yeah, they're good. So far? So far? Yeah. And where are you at again? Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Ooh, how's the weather? Muggy or starting to cool off a little bit? You get, you get some of both. Today's is a little more muggy, uh, but uh, it's starting to cool down. The nights are cool, and it's starting to feel really good, so things are good. It's been a long summer, so it started cooling off here to where you know, it was a low 70s at night. It was probably in the high 40s, 50s, but man, also in the last two days, it's been in the 80s, so I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I mean, who knows, you know? <laughs> we got teased with a little bit of the summer. So let me ask you a question before we dive in today. Memphis, never been there, but I've heard about it. Is it true that the barbecue, right? They're known for their barbecue out there? Yes, absolutely. Barbecue is, uh, is the number one food of choice. You come to Memphis. So we got a lot of good soul food too, but barbecue is the way to go. Lots of good barbecue here. I'm happy to uh, send you a link of recommendations after the show to make sure in case you ever visit. I'll take it. So last question regarding barbecue, since food is a hot topic around here. <laughs> um, dry rub or is it a saucy uh, barbecue in Memphis? Well, so it depends. So if you get your ribs, most likely those are going to be dry. Uh, and so if you have your pulled pork sandwich, you're probably going to have some wet sauce on top of your pulled pork. So it, it depends on what you get. Sounds good. I just got back from lunch and now I'm hungry. Oh, so, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk some fire protection. Last time we met, man, you were telling me some stuff that I just found fascinating. Um, and so we're like, hey, let's get them back on here. Um, actually, some of the audience has actually sent some comments in about the uh, fire protection episode that we did, and they, they thought it was pretty cool. So awesome. they're going to enjoy this one. The bar has been set kind of high for, from the last time you did it. So uh, let's get rolling. So, you know, every engineer, whether they're a transportation, maybe they're an electrical engineer, fire protection engineer, you all have your own gadgets or the tools that you need to have with you in order to perform your duty. So what, if I were to ask you, what would you put or be carrying in your daily toolkit? What would you, what would you have in there? Uh, all right. So, um, the number one daily thing I use all the time is a, is a handy piece of software. So whether that's a, um, a dynamics calculation software, or maybe a fire sprinkler calculation software, I usually like that because, uh, it's very quick. It's very fast. I can, I can make a lot of determinations quickly. Now I can do things by hand, but uh, having that is really nice. So that's number one. Um, I, I do, I go a lot out and, and do a lot of things with fire hydrants. So a lot of, a lot of the times I have a, a fire hydrant wrench and gauge assembly to where I can measure the, the flow and the output of those hydrants um, in real time. So, so I use those things pretty heavily. Um, a good foot and inches calculator so a lot, you know, a lot of the stuff you would do in engineering school is all metric. So when you get to, you know, the real world, it's oftentimes <laughs> inches and you got to add those. So, and multiply and divide. And um, yeah, I, I use that a lot too. Um, just to kind of get, you know, a lot of the stuff we do is tablature lookup. So the fourth and final thing is going to be my NFPA, my code reference, 
that's like essentially my Bible for each and every scenario that I walk into and find myself in. Very cool. That's a, a different toolkit than I come across. So it's pretty neat. One thing I've kind of learned is uh, whether you're a fire protection engineer, a geotech, civil or a electrical, you're going to have a calculator. That's um, right. <laughs> so that is key. So, you know, let's let's talk about some of the different combinations of fire protection supplies that would be optimum during a fire in a residence. Okay, so during a fire in a residence, well, you, you always want to, number one, make sure you have your smoke detectors in your residence to start before you ever even get going. Uh, that's going to be the, the best thing. You know, not all residences have sprinkler systems yet, and that's the best thing uh, for you to have in there, along with a, you know, a small to medium-sized fire extinguisher uh, as, as a part of your regular, you know, house equipment. Uh, I always like to recommend uh, that somebody has a grease fire extinguisher in addition to a standard one. A lot of times a fire will start in the kitchen and you can't use a standard fire extinguisher on a grease fire. You have to use a grease fire extinguisher. Uh, it's, a, it's a type something. Don't get me saying the wrong type, but it's, it's very specific. It's designed for that application. Uh, you know, smoke detectors and, and fire extinguishers, those are really the number one supplies uh, that, that you can have at the residential level. All right, well, let's take a look at what about warehouses? Same or maybe a little different collection? Uh, warehouses are the same. So in some of those warehouses, you would have um, another class of extinguisher for a, maybe a chemical spill. So that's a different class of extinguisher that you would use that uses maybe some nullifying chemicals to, um, you know, mitigate that chemical reaction in its tracks. Um, a lot of times in warehouses, what they'll have is they'll have a built-in a hose station built in. So there's a fire hose in the middle of the warehouse that can flow 500 gallons a minute. And uh, wow. that's typically a part of the infrastructure that they build in to help fight a fire, you know, in, in the middle of the building. That's pretty cool. I, I, I didn't think about that. I got a silly question maybe, but it's actually been, you know, it's funny is last week we were talking about fire sprinklers and I was, and uh, I was like, well, I've wondered this question. So you're in a hotel room. And oftentimes these sprinklers are in some odd places on the ceiling. Right. Well, most places, hotel rooms that you're in, they have a sign that doesn't want you to put a hanger on it. What the heck is that about? They don't want you using it to hang your laundry? Yeah, they don't want you to uh, hang your clothes on that and, and actually pull it and bend that sprinkler head uh, right there on the wall. Yeah, it's a nice little, you know, it sticks right out of the wall. Usually in the hotel room, it's a side application. So you could just hang your clothes right on there. It'd be kind of nice, uh, but they don't want you to do that. That's a big no, no. <laughs> I've thought about it, but I was like, eh, maybe not. The wiser head prevailed. So thank you for solving that mystery sure. here. <laughs> so let me ask you, so how do you conduct a hydraulic analysis on a sprinkler and a fire water systems? Okay. Um, sprinklers are driven by, we call it endpoint calculations. So we go to the very end of the system set the demand and then work our way all the way back uh, to the source. That way we kind of know what that's going to require. Um, and you usually do that by an area and, and a given density. So you say you take a spool, it's got this many square feet and you kind of assign that hazard um, to that system. You lay out your sprinkler heads um, and then you given your, your um, water supply, you, you basically perform a comparative analysis on here's the demand Here's what the water supply can provide 
does this equal up? I usually like to aim for about a five or 10% safety factor on top of that too, you know. All right, better safe than sorry. Better safe than sorry, That's absolutely. So what other maintenance or other type of maintenance needs to be done on some of these FPE supplies? Um, you know, a lot of the maintenance that we'll run into, um, you know, we could even on your, on your standard warehouse system, a lot of times in a big warehouse, for example, those, those fire extinguishers need to be charged. They've been sitting there for a long time. They've, they wouldn't work if you pulled the pin. So, you know, not typically in residential applications, but in warehouses, a lot of change in temperatures, really caustic environments. Uh, you need you need those kept up to date. You know, you, of course, you need your regular maintenance on if you do have a sprinkler facility. Mm-hmm. Um, inspecting that, you know, biannually, making sure that's all up to up to date and holding water the way it should, uh, and everything like that. And um, you know, on the residential level, making sure your batteries and your fire your fire or smoke detector uh, is is good to go. Making sure you know your family has a plan in case of a fire. You know, that's that's a good thing. You know, where do we go in case there's a fire? Um, so those are some examples of some maintenance you can do on your fire protection. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, plans are always great. So let me ask you this question. It's a little, maybe a little off topic, but, um, for testing the sprinkler systems, like let's say in a, a Best Buy, uh, retail store, what do they do to test them? Okay. Um, we do mul- multiple things. Uh, Best Buy will usually probably be three or four individual sprinkler systems. Uh, and so what we'll do, there, there's a portion of the system that is allocated. It's called an inspector's test. Uh, and it's a section of piping that is allowed to flow water through to essentially simulate that system going off. So we will go and touch the inspector's tests on each one of those systems, making sure it responds in a time, timely and you know, appropriate manner. So it's going to notify the fire alarm system. It's going to sound the bell and the alarm. It's going to say, hey, the sprinkler system's going off. Boom. And so you, you check that about every six months for a best for a best buy. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat, actually. So let me ask you. So what kind of relationship? Or I guess I say, what kind of methods do you use to study the relationships between ignition sources and materials to kind of determine how fires start? A lot of those methods. Um, so UL and FM, they're two big constituents in the whole fire game. Um, they study a lot of those methods. They set a lot of things on fire. Uh, just, just to see what happens, you know, I wish I could do that uh, for a job, but no, I try to keep things from being on fire. Um, yeah. So through full scale laboratory testing and over time, so time is a lot of, you know, a lot of the materials we even used in the 1970s, like asbestos and things like that. We're learning now, oh wait, we shouldn't use those. Those are flammable. Those are not good for our health. Let's take those outlets. So it's kind of an iterative process. Uh, that we develop through UL and through FM and through these other insurance underwriters that come back and say, hey, you know, we, we found that that this is actually less flammable sheetrock. Okay, well, now everybody needs to start using this um, to help prevent fire spread uh, and, and things like that. That's pretty interesting, actually. So, well, let's kind of move over to some fire protection infrastructure and kind of tackle some questions and kind of share some of these um, answers and questions with the audience here. So, you know, a lot of times, I guess, when people are doing whether they're remodeling, doing some kind of modifications, they don't really take into account, you know, if there is a fire, how are these modifications that we're going to do might affect escape routes or exit door placements or things like that. So how do you determine whether a building modification will affect the facility's exit requirements? Uh, That's a great question. Um, A lot of times 
I go back to the code. So NFPA 101, in combination with, you know, the International Building Code, uh, they kind of share a relationship in, in that respect. But um, it's very detailed and very specific about how, you know, if you're going to change this, this or this, here's what needs to happen. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, that's the first thing I will take to a building owner or an architect that's proposing this change and say, hey, are we checking these boxes? You know, is the hallway big enough? Are there enough doors? Are there enough stairs per these code requirements? Well, then we're good to go. You know, if we can meet all those boxes, then we're good to go. Oh, great, great. So here's a here's a question for you, kind of off the wall, but let me toss it out there for you. So, you know, buildings or maybe even warehouses are designed with a certain type of maybe a fire protection system in, in place. Um, so let's say the original tenant was a bookstore and they had some like one particular type of a, a fire protection system. Okay. In place. And then let's say the next tenant came in and was maybe either a candle seller or fireworks. So is that, are, are those going to play any role in determining yeah. whether or not they need to do any, you know, modifications? And if so, what kind of modifications can you do? That's exactly right. Okay. Great question. Um, so what we're talking about is, is uh, storage and occupancy. And that's really a lot. I mean, I do that every day in, in my job. Uh, hey, what are you going to put in this building? That has a lot to do with the requirements. So yeah, fireworks are way up here. Books are down here. And then, an office building is even further. Um, so number one, uh, anytime you change an occupancy, the building department, the fire marshal, everybody kind of knows about that. You make everybody aware. And so building design changes that need to happen must be done by a licensed engineer. Um, so in this case, we would probably upsize some piping, you know, upsize sprinkler heads. Um, Obviously, we would need much more water in a fireworks application than we would, say, a bookstore application. Um, so we would we would probably add a, a pump on site. We would add more more infrastructure piping at the ceiling level. Um, you know, we'd kind of, in some cases, I mean, we'd had to tear out what they had and come back with something new just because it needed that much more. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot of times what you have to do. That makes sense. So while we're still talking about, you know, occupancy and storage, you know, now we, we just talked about changing what you're storing in the building, right? We went from books to fireworks. How if you're going from, let's say, a 10-man a operation to a 35-man a operation? What is that going to change in terms of uh, fire protection? So uh, a lot of times there's some there's ranges within your occupancy limit that, you, you know, maybe zero to 100 or zero to 50 people. Um Sometimes, you know, if, if I sprinkle an area that's covered for an assembly, well, it's covered up to zero to 200 people, whether or not they have 200 people in that room. Um, so people don't drive it as much as the materials that they're putting in there. Yeah, the materials that they're putting in there. Yes. So going back to our bookstore and, and, and fireworks um, scenario there. So could it actually be where maybe, I don't know if it would be a fire protection engineer that comes in and says, hey, you know, this building, the systems just are not designed for this kind of a, a you know, a business or a store in this kind of a material. That's so that's the duty of the, uh, the like the local fire authority, your local state fire marshal or your local building code official. You know, it's their job. You know, as soon as some a tenant leaves, well, it's his job to make sure he's aware of what who's going in there and. And what's going on? And, you know, like the city of Memphis, Tennessee, well, they're not going to let a tire manufacturer go in an old bookstore without 
hey, we're really going to upgrade these systems. Otherwise, you're a hazard to the rest of the buildings on the block. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think the cause of my, you know, the rest of the tenants losing space uh, because yeah. you know, something I was storing or, or something I was doing. So that's some great, useful information. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of a curiosity I had. And I'm glad, I, you know, you're able to answer that for me. So thank you for that. Sure. So, you know, when you do building inspections or look at building designs, you know, what kind of problems or issues do you specifically look at when you're conducting those type of inspections? Um, I'm mainly what I'm looking for, um, partially because when I'm when I'm done and when I'm going in to do an inspection, the ceilings are usually already installed. Right. And so I'm inspecting sprinklers at the ceiling level uh, and, and below. Um, so I'm looking for basically appropriate distribution patterns. Um, so I'm going to make sure that there are sprinklers in every room. They're not too far off the wall. Uh, there's the appropriate distance between them, between them and lights. Um, you know, are, are we, again, kind of the same, are we spacing in the right uh, dimensions for what we're storing in this occupancy? Okay. And that matters, you know, you, you store more hazardous items, your sprinkler heads must be close together. Um, not only that, you know, are, are we seismically braced appropriately? Are we interfering with any other trades with the installation of this piping. Um, so there's a lot of things that I really kind of look for on site. Um, distribution is, is one of the main ones, uh, but also um, I go to check the gauges and make sure we've got some good information coming from underground, you know, from the city and make sure that's safe and appropriate. Um, Makes sense. So I know we've talked about like, you know, if you have books, you have this. If you're moving to like fireworks, you're going to have these type of maybe size sprinkler heads. So is it just the sprinkler heads that you guys are looking into swapping out depending on what's being stored there or also maybe the, the number, location, how far sprinkler heads are actually spread out? Yes, yes. So I love the bookstore and fireworks example. Um, and in a bookstore, say you are allowed to have, you know, 120 square foot per head. Well, at the fireworks sample, you may only be allowed to have a 100 square feet per head. So, yeah, you would have to respace and relay out. Uh, not only that, with bigger branch line. In some applications, sure, you can. You can go from maybe, say, a bookstore to a pharmacy. Okay, well, we can swap some heads and leave them in the same place, but we should be good to go. Um, but sometimes, especially if it's a big jump in the hazard class, um, you know, from books aren't really explosive, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's some good books out there, but they're not. <laughs> they're not the explosive in the, right, the, that's exactly the, right. the fireworks. Um, no, that, that's great. So here's a question, and, and I don't know the answer, so I'm going to ask you. So again, looking at our, our books and our fireworks. So let's say fireworks, a little bit of an accident one night, and the, some of the fireworks went off in the building and the sprinkler system. Is the sprinkler systems in place Typically, maybe not just in this example, but maybe in your experience, are those sprinklers that are in place sufficient enough to douse that fire? Mm, great question. So number one purpose of sprinklers is to save lives and not put out fires. So that's a that's a number one misconception of the sprinkler system function in and of itself. Now, in the fireworks application, uh, I would be wanting to contain that fire away from the other combustibles that are on site to where the fire department can get there, you know, say for a half an hour or so. Um, so on a big dangerous site like that, you know, you always want the fire department to finish it off, but we'll go to my books. So say there's a fire in the bookstore, it's more than likely my sprinkler system will put out the fire 
and and that keeps running until the fire department gets there to actually turn it off. They're the people who turn it off. So it just keeps going and going and going and going. Um, so a lot, you know, depending on the hazard, that's what you want to do. Um, in a hospital, anything like that, the goal is not putting out the fire, but it's to maintain the safe egress of people out. That's Here. interesting. So you answered my, one of my questions was how long do these sprinklers go for? But as you mentioned, they, they go until they're, they're turned off by the fire department. But can you expand on what you kind of mean of like the design of their, the purpose for these fire sprinklers are to save lives instead of dousing or, to, you know, putting out the fires? How are they designed to, to, I mean, it might sound like a silly question, but how are they designed to save lives? Absolutely. Um, sprinklers in the base of design, you know, NFPA 13, which governs sprinklers is, is a part of the same NFPA 101, which governs egress. So they are designed to cover all exits, to cover all corridors, to cover basically every safe path of egress from a building that you would need in the event of a fire. Um, you know, a lot of times the concept would be, well, I want to put sprinklers in my building to save it in case it burns. It's going to ruin whatever room it goes. I mean, it's going to damage all that bad. So a lot of times it's not even about property damage. It's, it's actually people can get wet and still move and get out and, and they're okay, you know? Um, so you, 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 all that distribution and everything like that is all calculated and designed to suppress that fire at the most to free the doorways and to free the corridors and to, you know, base with your spacing and distribution patterns, really push all that fire away. That's interesting. So here's another question. So, you know, we go back to the hotel example that we kind of talked about earlier. So you see them in the, in the rooms. So if one sprinkler goes off in, let's say, two rooms on floor nine, are they are all sprinklers coming off or just ones that? OK, so they're they're based on the condition wherever they're yeah. at. Yeah. Um, yeah. Movies. So in, in movies and this is something I always say in movies, somebody pulls the fire alarm, all the sprinklers go Psh, sure. you, you shoot one and they all go. Psh. That doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. That's um, good. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> Sprinkler heads, they have uh, a, a small piece of um, ferrous metal uh -huh. there at the end. And when it gets hot enough, it melts. And that's what's holding the water back. And it just. Cool. Yeah. Cool. It, and you can change the makeup of that metal to melt it different, you know, 150 or 200 or 250, you know, depending on, again, your hazard. Right. So in your hotel room, you would want it to go off at like 150 degrees. That's pretty hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So all right, well, where so would you say maybe in hotel rooms, you're at the lower end of the spectrum where you want it than if it was in a, a warehouse? Hotel room is like the light. It's called a light hazard or residential hazard. Yeah. It's there's next to no combustibles. You know, unless you're playing with your hairspray and your lighter, you should not have any major flammable incidents going on in the hotel room um, that that should cause any kind of major flammability um, versus, you know, a warehouse storing. Let's use washers and dryers and cardboard boxes. OK, once those get on fire, those are going to stay on fire for a very long time. In fact, you know. Sometimes those blazes get to the point where the fire department just douses everything else and steps back and let it burn out because it's an uncontrollable blaze, essentially. Um, so, yeah, warehouses have much larger pipes with much tighter distributions, much bigger sprinkler heads. They require hundreds of thousands of gallons of water in the event that they were to go off. Yeah. 
Wow, that's interesting. And so I probably should have asked this question a few minutes ago, but I didn't know my other questions were going to take us down this road. But so you were talking about egress earlier. Can you expand on that? And and what is the and you know how important is it to fire protection? And what is it? Okay, egress. Um, that's a term that means um, occupant exit from the building. So egress is going to be composed of you know, you have your exit, which is your stairwell or your door, you know, you have your exit path, which is your corridor leading to the exit. And then you have your discharge, like the parking lot outside or, or a lobby or, or something of that nature that th- those three are the combining components of what we call egress. Um, in the event of any fire, you're going to want to get out of the building and mm-hmm. you must design the buildings um, to allow that to happen. That's in fact, all building capacity is designed around how many people can get out of this building in a panicked way at one time. Um, So hotels, everything like that, it's all governed by the ability to egress the building. Yeah. Leave under emergency. Well, thanks for expanding on that. So, you know, one thing I usually, you know, I always enjoy talking with the various different engineers that, that come into these podcasts is we talk about technology, you know, how technology affects their, you know, not just their industry, but maybe their, their, particular field of of engineering and and you know you know just roughly here for fire you know protection we've over the years you've seen things start off with fire extinguishers were which was a huge tool and then as technology evolved you know can you talk about some of the changing technologies that you've seen and experienced in fire protection yeah um one of one of the things i really like that's kind of uh been lately is um the braided steel so you know, fire protection is all ran in a, in a ductile iron pipe, and it has been that way for a hundred years. Up until recently, um, these components now are braided steel that are totally flexible and malleable, and you can just bend them and tie them in knots. You know, and then still run all your sprinkler systems. Uh, that's like now a huge thing for remodels or hospitals or or any of that application. You know, you can come and take an old hard pipe system basically remove all the branches and then you have a flexible dynamic system in a matter of a couple of days, you know, versus this used to take guys weeks and months to move the hard pipes, pipe them to new hard pipe locations. Now all that's gone. All that's, um, you know, braided, flexible, waterproof, you know, 175 pound rated fittings and uh, appurtenances that are kind of shaping the whole industry for, speed you know and quickness and mm-hmm. um you know everything kind of centers around downtime so that warehouse has to pause if the guys have to go in and fix the sprinkler system the warehouse has to pause production in that area that makes sense yeah and so they want to say hey let's make this as fast as possible we're losing money we're losing money right now so man all those you know quick attaching braided flexible fittings now man you can cut a pipe here and cut a pipe here and, and use it like a slinky and just connect them, and then you're good to get i mean yeah it's 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 insane wow. it's really it's really neat so with all these new technologies and technologies always changing how in the heck do you stay up with the you know the evolving technologies what do you do you know i i try to consume as much information as i can so i'm a member of sfpe um i get sprinkler magazine you know monthly i i really just try to consume and digest as much information on the forefront of this as i can um, you know, whether that's, yeah, I mean, they do different things for fire protection in other countries. So whether that's learning about what they do over in the UK with very limited water, um, or, 
or here in very cold climates or maybe underwater applications, how do we do that? You know, maybe on an underwater oil rig, how do we provide protection for that? Um, there, there's, you know, uh, it, it takes a web of connected professionals and, and we're all sharing information. That's really the best way to do it is to consume and share information as much as possible. That's interesting. So, you know, as we're running out of time for today, I, I mean, I definitely want to get into next time to talk about some of those underwater technology, you know, techniques and also just, you know, ones that where you're like you're talking about cold temperature or or not enough, you know, low water supply. So those are all great topics that I'd love to learn more about. And I'm sure the audience would, too. So, you know, that kind of leads me off to James. I'm going to have to bring you back for sure. But uh, any parting words for the audience today? Hey, I, I'm happy to be here. I love talking about fire protection engineering, and uh, I hope others want to share that love with me someday. <laughs> Sounds good, James. Before I let you go, I got one last question to, to ask you. Sure. So when I was growing up many moons ago, you always used to see that you used to see the commercial a lot, you know, especially growing up in California about wildfires, forest fires, you know, Smokey the Bear. So wildfires have Smokey the Bear. Who do you guys have in the for fire protection? Uh, I, I don't know that we have a mascot, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we have a Smokey the Bear guy uh, in there. Sounds good. Well, hey, James, thanks again for coming out. I will get you back here on another upcoming episode. Until then, have a great day. And to the rest of you, have a great day and enjoy the rest of the week. And thanks for coming out. Thanks, Chris. Good to see you. Thanks.